0: We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon. And we both work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. And we're uh, number 11 in the country. And we're streaming live every single week on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. Give us a follow, like, subscribe, all the stuff you're supposed to do on social media. So. U.S. home values, year over year, the average is $334,269, up 5% over the past year. But if you look at the chart that they have here, and um, Nick, I'm going to have you put this up on the YouTube live stream, that for the month of March, we saw the price come in at $334,269. That was up from February, where it was 333 dollars and change, and we saw it decline a little bit. Um, or really flattened out since roughly July of last year, which I know is when we both think that the market kind of shifted here. So we'll get into this data a little more. Do you feel like prices have bottomed? Is this a regional thing? What's your take on this, Sarah? You're the one in the arena working with folks on a daily basis.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think it's I think it's regional. I, I don't think that everything is, has bottomed out here. Um, I know, um, you know, if we're talking like list to sales, Price or, like, as you're looking at different comps to put in offers for clients, um, you know, you have to track knowing that things are still going up. Like, that is still absolutely the trend.
0: Well, and if you look at the – you can actually – on this uh, – this is on Zillow's website. So at zillow.com slash home dash values. You can actually plug in different markets here, and you can see that they're, they're arguing there was a um, – if you look at, like, the Philadelphia market, it's a little flat compared to – what we saw, the dip in the regional market. And there's also a graph that we're going to put up from Core Logic. which Core Logic, so they, um, they chart these things. They're one of those uh, data sources that a lot of people follow. They believe prices kind of peaked right at the end of 2021 and beginning of 2022. And they believe that by the end of 2023, we're going to be at that same peak level. And I do agree with that because there's a lot of buyers and sellers out there that think that like, the market's going to bottom out and drop. I don't think there's any shot in hell that happens. And when you talk about regional data, Sarah, and I'm going to give you the numbers for Philadelphia here in a second. I just pulled them all county by county. When you look at the regional data and that Redfin heat map that we saw a couple of weeks ago, it was the tech hubs and the COVID hotspots. They're the areas that saw bigger declines, like places like Aspen, Colorado, or in the West coast or in the South. And in the Northeast and places like Milwaukee and Chicago, more of your, I live in this market and I'm not moving sort of places, they were much more stable. So you say uh, that you feel like it's regional. What are you seeing on the local level here before I give the data? Are you seeing any sign that prices are going down?
1: No, um, I I really have not. Um, now, if you're looking at where, you know, a home, what it is listed for, you have to look at all of the other comps around that to see yes. was there a, a strategy there with that. Um, but... Yeah, no, I have I have not noticed things like dropping off.
0: I agree. And that's what I've seen with the northeast. I mean, we saw the same thing in 2008 to 2012 when we had the foreclosure issues happen. All the foreclosures were in Nevada, Arizona, California, Florida, and Ohio, and those were more of those like hot spots sort of areas. So, here are the March sales numbers for the greater Philadelphia area. So, if you look at the median sale price Year over year, we are up 3.9 percent, and it's up 7 percent from February to March in Chester County. Uh, In Delaware County, we're seeing prices are up 16 percent on the median from February to March, and they are flat so far this year, up 3.6 percent from March 2022. In Montgomery County, we've seen a 7.7 percent increase in the median sale price and a 3 percent increase just since the month of February And in Philadelphia, and this is where it's regional, this is a really good point. Philadelphia, we're seeing a decline of 2.1% year to date, but a 10.6% increase since February. So this data really indicates that, and I think it's a lot of it because of rates, right? I mean, rates were at 7% in the month of February. This story looks to be pretty accurate here. So do you believe we're going to see prices get back to those peak levels? Like, What what do you think is going to happen here, Sarah?
1: I think there's going to be a number of different things that kind of come into play here, but ultimately, I think it comes down a lot to supply and demand and inventory levels. Okay. So um, if inventory remains low and we continue to have more buyers that are qualified, that all are chasing like these homes, prices are going to continue to climb.
0: Mm-hmm. So I agree. I think it's Econ 101 here. I didn't do very well in that class, I, but uh, it was uh, I, I knew about supply and demand, yeah. so uh, that, that, that was helpful. So, you know, th- this core logic data, I think, I think it's really helpful because how many people have you heard saying, uh, th- that tell you, hey, you know what, Sarah, I- I'm, I'm going to wait until prices come down. I'm going to wait until the market drops. I mean, h- how often have you heard that over the past three months, let alone the past 12?
1: Yeah, um, that's something that does come up um, pretty often.
0: <laughs> and- how often is pretty often? Like daily, multiple times a day?
1: Uh, Well, I guess that all depends on how many people I've been talking to that day. But, um, yeah, it's if you're kind of reaching out to people that you have been sending properties to and maybe haven't been quite as responsive, I mean, I think that once you're actively out looking and you kind of have that momentum going, I'm not hearing as much. Like, I haven't really heard from them, people that are actually out actively looking. Mm -hmm. I'm showing them homes, them saying, you know what, I'm going to pull out right now. Um, it's more people that have been on the sidelines anyway. They've been looking at listings that I've been sending out. I can tell that they're, you know, opening the um, the stuff that I'm sending over, but they're not actively trying to go out and look at properties. Those are the people that I'm hearing more of, like, eh, it's a, it seems a little too crazy. I'm, I'm backing off. Um, and then it's kind of about are they open to having that conversation about what is this going to look like when you hold on? like mm-hmm. what what market are you going to be in then because these are some of the same people that said they were going to hold off back in 2020, 2021 when we had yeah home prices were starting to to climb up but rates whole different yeah, story. They are, yeah. 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 So like you know, it's are they open to have that conversation about what the data is showing and like what we're projecting is going to be there?
0: If rates stay in this like low 6% range, and we've seen them fluctuate from like six to six and a half over the past couple of weeks here. It was five straight weeks of rate declines. If we see rates stay there, I don't see any way prices don't continue to climb. It's when they get north of seven. And that February data I showed you, the reason you're seeing the pop of sales in March mm-hmm. is because in February, we were seeing 7% rates. Right. And you know, we'll, we'll talk about the Fed and inflation here on, on the next segment. So I, I do agree with you that a lot of the people that are waiting are the ones that have been like, constantly waiting. And then there's other folks out there that are saying, I'm going to transact, let's go. The rates are the rates. I can't control that. So with that in mind, I mean, it looks like we are seeing that um, prices are, if they did bottom out, it's not a local thing. It's more of a national thing, I I would argue. And you always got to look at the super local data here. So with that in mind, we're still seeing inventory as a challenge, right? And what we saw with inventory, inventory fell nationally, Again, I was hoping we wouldn't have seen a decline this week, and we did. It was up 800 units last week. Now we saw a decline of 5,383 units, and that's according to Altos Research. And, you know, the, the big question, and I've been saying this as much as anybody, have we seen the seasonal bottom in inventory? The answer is definitively no. I mean, it's, it's just not, not happening. So is inventory going to continue to decline? I mean, this, this was... I thought at April 17th, we'd be seeing a little bit of a bump here.
2: Yeah.
0: What, what, what's your take on this? And I'll give the local data in a second.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting because every day when you, when you look and you look on, like, the hot sheets and you can see what's coming up and what's coming soon, I mean, there is, properties are, are coming, you know? Like, every day, there's, there's something else that, that's popping up. They're not, they're not sitting. They're, they're turning over quickly. Um, and we're 100% back to, you know, not just multiple offer situations, when,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: hot properties, but, you know, over 10.
0: Yeah. I, I, and you know what? And then there's others where they've been on the market like two months. Yeah. And it, it, it's wild how if you're a little off in this market, and, and it really seems like it's those move-up homes or the ones that are the most challenged. Like, that's where you see the, the most of, of that come out. So if you look at just the last seven days, and we've got this, uh, we've got this data that, that's been charted out here. The last seven days in Bucks, Philadelphia, Chester, Montgomery, Delaware counties, we have seen, wait for it, we've seen just under 700 homes come to market. That's up a little bit from where it was last week. So we're still seeing consistent new homes come to the market. I, my, my hope is that we're past Easter. Tax day is today. And we've got spring break is over with. My hope is everyone's kind of passed all that nonsense. Right. And these next 75, 90 days, we're going to see more sellers come to the market. There has got to be a bottom here at some point. I'm, I'm surprised that this, this came down again. I mean, were, were, you, were you shocked to see this number? Or?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was, I mean, everybody's hoping more inventory comes. But now that we're mid-April, which it's, it's wild that we're already there. Um, but I, I anticipated, you know, much more inventory uh, bumping up uh, within the last, really the last two weeks, but in particular in the last week. So hopefully we were just like a week or two off there and coming up, things, yes. will, things will shift a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, and, and Logan Motoshami, who puts out this housing wire tracker every week, he's got a very interesting theory, is that the mortgage rate volatility has been so wild over the second half of 22 and this year that some home sellers are gun-shy in listing their homes because they wanna buy another one. Right. So imagine if you sold your home today and then rates jumped up another half a point point. Yeah. and you're kinda of in that position where, I thought I was getting six or six and a half and now it's at seven yeah. because we've seen such an incredible volatile market I kind of feel for them. I can understand that. And I, I think it's, you know, that's why companies like Tomo Mortgage, I'd be talking to them mm-hmm. because they offer the 120-day rate lock with no agreement of sale. Like, right. that gives you some time. That can that's go a long way.
1: That is huge. I mean, that's, that's fantastic.
0: Well, and that's the kind of people you need to be talking to. You need to be thinking about what other things can I do besides the norm because we, we're going to talk later with Brian Black from our team about you know, competitive offer writing. Like Everyone knows all the tricks at this point. Two years ago, it was like, oh, we're going to pay transfer tax. We got them. Yeah, well, and, and you know what? It worked oh, for yeah. a limited amount of time, but then everyone caught on. Yeah. We well, it's, I mean, that's how you were losing, right? So the people you have to really understand who wants to list their home and have mortgage rates jump up 1% to 2% during that process. So my hope is, as we've seen some stability here with interest rates, that that's going to allow for more sellers to come to the market because the rates have been pretty stable as of late. Um, and and we've seen them. It's once they hit seven, that's when people start to freak out. Yeah. I mean, do you feel like that's part of the issue? I mean, you're talking to a lot of people that are selling and may have to buy. I mean, what's 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 kind of been their reason besides inventory? What's their what's been their reason for not pulling the trigger?
1: On the on the sell side. the sell side. side
0: specifically.
1: Honestly, there were there were quite a few different like timeline issues with um, needing to kind of line up some things that really were out of out of their control. Um, and you're always gonna have some of that. Not everything is able to be just like a conversation about like, all right, well, let's line mm-hmm. it up this way and it'll all come together. Sometimes outside things do need to yeah. to come together to make things work. Um, but certainly, where am I going to where am I going to go? And people that are in the earlier stages of thinking about listing, like they're really the ones that are because like once again, it's like once you have that momentum going and you kind of have it in your head that like, yes, I'm gonna do this. So, like obviously, these these factors weigh in, and they're something that they're considering as they're looking at the different things. But like once you really kind of get on track with yes, I'm going to do this, they're more likely to move forward. It's the people that are kind of out here and haven't quite decided: do I need to list? Do I do I really want to move? Do I need to do this now? That it's it's tougher, to, and these outside factors really do kind of weigh one a little bit more.
0: Well, and and what I found, too, is that you can't coach readiness. And some of these folks, like, they they go out and then they they see a home they actually want to bid on, and they lose. Because they either, their home's not sold, they didn't listen. We're going to talk about this with Brian a little later. Or they just didn't want to get realistic with the market. Mm -hmm. Then all of a sudden, they realize, well, if I want to be really competitive, i got to have my home sold. I mean, folks that have contingencies or, like, a home sale and settlement. And if that inventory gets unlocked and rates can stabilize. And we're gonna talk about what's gonna happen with rates here in a little bit because there's some interesting news from uh, Barry Sternlight in particular, I think it's gonna have a major impact on inflation data. If rates were to stabilize like in the fives and stay there or even like six to six and a quarter, I would imagine a lot of people would be more comfortable bringing their home to the market. It's just this volatile. We've seen rates go above seven twice in the past six months and then they come down and then they go back up and it's, it's, it's like this, I, I've never seen anything this volatile before.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, I think if we got below that 6% mark and mm-hmm. we were we were in the fives, I think I think that we'd see a lot more movement.
0: Well, I, I agree. And so, I mean, and my hope is, and I hope you're right here, Sarah, that we see inventory bottom out, if not now, then soon. And, you know, even when there's even a little pop of inventory, I mean, we saw purchase application data rise 8% last week with that little bump of 800-some homes that came to the market, so five out of the last six weeks we've seen positive increases in mortgage application data and you know it's after may and june that stuff traditionally falls so the sellers that are holding out i i I get why you're holding out you might lose out on some demand here for your property it's it's there's just it's this big like it's like you're talking in circles right is that a good way to explain it yeah
1: no absolutely
0: so that's where we are this week when it comes to inventory when uh, we we, we both believe prices are never bottomed out here they've been on the incline but are happening nationally so we're going to take a quick break we're going to come back and we're going to talk about what the fed does next what happens with inflation the jobs report all that stuff will get unpacked this is tool time real estate radio on wwdb 860 a.m
2: or give us a call at 610-439-8000. We always have a person available to take your call with around-the-clock human service. Purchase your home with the personalized, local service you find at Mortgage America. Mortgage America is an equal housing lender. NMLS 128501.
3: When you're getting a mortgage, you shouldn't have to sacrifice great service just to get a great rate. At Mortgage America, we've been lending with this philosophy for over 35 years. We have access to great low rates without the complications and delays of big or online banks. We're a local Pennsylvania lender with loan officers that you can actually meet as phfa's number one lender we specialize in all residential mortgage programs including first-time buyer programs and low down payment options for your free pre-approval call us at 610-439-8000 or apply online at mymortgageamerica.com i'm
0: tom tool of the tom tool sales group at remax main line if you're thinking of becoming a real estate agent in the greater philly area i have a special offer for you Our team did $165 million of volume in 2021, making us the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania and a top 1% team nationally. Our agents love us because we offer them a successful career, a great life, and an unbeatable culture. Agents who've been with us for at least a year average 30-plus sales. Even our brand-new agents average 17 to 24 sales a year. We offer proven systems and expert training. We help you set more appointments and sell more houses. Now here's the offer. If you don't have a real estate license yet, we offer real estate scholarships so you can get one for free. Check it out at realestatescholarshipprogram.com or visit the Tom Tool sales group at Remax Mainline at tomtool.com. That's Tom, e.com. Get more out of your real estate career and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool, she's Sarah Timon, and we both work at the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. You were excited every time I say that, by the way. I, I love that. Like, it's there is no lack of enthusiasm on the show here from Sarah. And we're uh, number 11 in the country and we're streaming live every single week on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group. Give us a follow, like, subscribe, all the stuff you're supposed to do on social media. So we've got some interesting information around inflation. I feel like this is now like the economic report. This is all we do anymore is talk about what's going on. Uh, And and if I'm a real estate agent right now, and, and Sarah, I know you've had to kind of in- intentionally do this, and you'll, you'll be the first one to say, I don't like this stuff, but then you regurgitate it and, and explain it to your clients perfectly. Like you really gotta pay attention to this stuff, right? right? Uh, so before we get into this, when you hear this data, like, I mean, were you, were, is this something you ever studied before you got into the business? Did it ever confuse you? Like, I mean, be very honest here, because I think it's actually super relevant for the people that are listening, especially the agents.
1: Yeah, I mean, I never studied it and it did confuse
0: me. Okay. So how do you understand, like, I mean, but you're, you're selling homes, you're having these conversations with people, and so many people are worried about what the Fed's doing and what's going on with rates and inflation. How do you ease those concerns?
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think prior to doing this, I didn't even, like, pay attention to the point of knowing how, like, what the chain effect was sure. of all of these different decisions and then how that ultimately impacts what your monthly payment is and how mm-hmm. this affects, like, your... Your wallet and, and your bottom dollar. Um, so, you know, looking through it now and understanding how how everything kind of uh, correlates, um, it's you know you see some of these different numbers come out and it's like oh that's exciting that's good news or like uh oh here we go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, being able to kind of take this information and then I know for me I'm I'm pretty I don't want to say like casual when explaining it to clients but. I don't use a lot of um, the most, like, high-tech
2: <laughs> words or
1: terminology. Jargon. I'm not using yeah. a ton of jargon. Um, I'm just kind of breaking it down simply to, you know, hey, this is what's going on. This is what we're expecting to see. This, These are what the different scenarios and outcomes could be, and this is what it means for you. Um, yeah, I don't use a ton of the jargon. I feel like things get lost in there, um, and you never want to be trying to, you know, explain something or simplify something and then have the person you're talking to still, you know, not understand what you're talking about. Or if you try to get too technical, maybe they know more about some of these different pockets than you do. Um, And that just that just doesn't bode well. So um, being able to have the broad picture, the broad understanding of what's going on and be able to explain that to people in a way that makes sense.
0: See, I I love this because your perspective is so honest. Like, I mean, you are always, hey, this is what's going on. And a great salesperson doesn't need to have a degree in economics. I mean, I I don't. I mean, you you don't. I mean, it's, but you need to understand this so that consumers can understand how it's going to affect their housing payment and their investment they're making. So I I love that that's your approach. And I thought that was very helpful for people because I know a lot of agents get lost in this stuff. So before we get into it all, I I just wanted to share that because you've done a great job in your career with, hey, this is what it means. Here's how I'm going to help you. And that's really what we're here to do. So with that in mind, um, we got some inflation data last week. This is like the hottest topic out there right now. And everyone's kind of geeking out about inflation. So the CPI data that came in for the month of March, um, it just got released on the 12th. And it rose by 5% before the seasonal adjustment compared to one year ago, which was a decrease from the 6% year-over-year jump that we saw in February. So it came in less than expected it looks like things are starting to cool a little bit. Um, It posted at one-tenth of a percent um, increase in March compared to the 0.4% monthly increase, so a lot less there. So it came in less than expected. And that's good news, because that means inflation's kind of cooling down. That's what everyone's worried about. And if you don't know what CPI data is, it's the cost of consumer goods. So it's what, like, things you actually buy cost. And on top of that, the unemployment rate is still under 4%. So we're seeing that we're, we're you know, we're, we're seeing this like great unemployment, even though CPI data is coming down. And everyone's wondering, like, what's this going to do for the next Fed meeting? Is the Fed going to chill out? But inflation coming down is not a bad thing. And so, so when you hear that, Sarah, what's your, what's your initial reaction?
1: Yeah, I mean it's exciting to see that it's coming down. I think knowing that the Fed wants it, you know, at two percent or below, we're not we're not there yet. So I, I think that they will continue to, um, you know, probably do another rate hike, but that things should, uh, should cool from there. Like I mean, I think they'll probably do another twenty five basis point, um, but things are starting to get to where uh, maybe they will be a little less involved with with what's going on um, and kind of let things run its course and actually just, you know, move forward.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, and your your prediction is in line with a lot of what the experts are thinking, where there's an 86.4% chance as of yesterday that we're going to see a 25 basis point increase at the next Fed meeting, which is in 14 days and change. So I agree with you there. And I'm hoping it's going to be the last one. And that's what a lot of folks are kind of expecting here is that this is going to be the last one that happens because even Logan Motoshami at Housing Wire he's saying better inflation data is probably not going to sway the Fed even though we're seeing unemployment come down we're seeing inflation come down below targets and um with jobless claims uh, you know being what what they are I mean we, the, the 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 labor market's been pretty strong e- even though uh, you know the, it seems like the Fed wants that number to increase which I don't really get I don't understand how putting people out of work is a good thing so It looks like we're probably going to see one more increase here. But that's not the story I want to talk about. So I think we're we're kind of in agreement there that the jobs report was favorable. The CPI data was favorable. The Fed's still going to raise rates. Everyone's feeling the same thing. I want to talk about Barry Sternlight. So uh, if you don't know who Barry Sternlight is, he is a billionaire. He's the CEO of Starwood Capital Group. Um, I mean, very influential person. And he believes that rent is a very lagged data point, and that inflation is going to drop off once the rental data catches up. And there's a chart here I'm going to have Nick put up. Uh, He was on CNBC talking about this, where if you look at the actual rental data versus the CPI shelter components, that's the component of the consumer price index that shelter costs, that's housing and rent. Rental data has dropped down dramatically. It's actually less than 6%, while shelter data is up towards like 8% in year-over-year growth. And the problem is rental data is really lagged. So he's predicting, and, and this, this, would, this would be an amazing scenario if you ask me, that when you see these falling rents that are going to show up in the inflation data later in the year, that they're going to pull all this data out, and inflation's going to drop much closer to 2%. Okay.
1: Now, this might be a dumb question, but that won't directly then affect the price of goods, right? It's just going to skew the number... It, differently it, because of this now being factored in
0: well it because it, they're going to look at inflation being closer to two percent because right now it's coming in at five right um and he believes it's going to fall off dramatically because um now he says he thinks part of it's going to be because housing prices tumbled and they are coming down in some areas we did just talk about that um i, I think they're going to probably go back up but the rental prices have come down because they were so high that people are like screw it i'm going to buy a house so you've got to almost, like, and, and being a rental property owner, the best thing to do is get someone in there rather than have, like, a month or two vacant. Be, and right. you, you have a rental property as well. Mm-hmm. It takes years to make up that one-month vacancy. Even if it's $1,500 a month is what we're talking about here. Right. So the, the inflation data in the Consumer Price Index jumped 8.1% year-over-year year in February, and that that's a big component of this. So if rental prices are going to come down, and that's going to get – hold out, then what I think could happen here is if we see inflation come in like mid-year closer to 2%, then the Fed better stop raising rates. I think that's really the message here.
1: So how often does rental data come in? Is that just once a year?
0: Uh, it comes in constantly, but it lags by about 18 oh, months. So the la- I mean, 18, 18- imagine if you went to a home seller and said, hey, I'm going to show you data from 18 months ago. Yeah. They look at you like you were out of your goddamn a lot mind. A can happen in 18 months. Yes. Less. <laughs> I mean, you could... I, lots, I mean, I just think about what the last 18 months have been like. What would that be? That'd be the end of 2021, yeah. where we are right now. I mean, the end of 2021 was bananas. Yeah. I mean, you were still dealing with masks and all sorts of stuff. So, um, so if, that, if that gets pulled out and we see that these number, the, the Fed comes back in uh, at, at 2% inflation, I mean, I don't think the Fed's going to have any other choice than to stop raising rates. Do you think this is likely? I mean, this is, this is one prediction. Who the heck knows if it's actually going to be true?
1: So when do we think those numbers would come in?
0: He's saying mid-year. Mid-year. So that's I mean, three months from now? Let's call it yeah. July?
1: I mean, I think if they come in the way that he's predicting, that actually could be possible, and that would be amazing. Um, but in the, I mean, in the upcoming months, I mean, it has been steadily, you know, we've been on the right trajectory trajectory here for um, for this to kind of like line up and continue to come down. Um, but I think everything would need to line up exactly right for those numbers to be where they need to be. Inflation to continue to like kind mm-hmm. of come down by, you know, all the other pieces of things that are are going on to try to help drive it um, in order for it to actually hit that that perfect, you know, two percent
0: mark. Well, when you think about this, the Fed and central bankers have raised rates over 1,700% in the past year. The amount of rate hikes that they have just keep going up and up and up. And if this is true, this means that inflation is likely much lower than the Fed thinks it is. And, that, and all these economists, I mean, Logan Modashami, Barry Stern, like the, the list goes on. They've kind of said like the Fed needs to let this play out a little bit. And Jerome Powell has been... Aggressive, to say the least. I'm, I'm trying to think of the right word here. Um, I, I can't. He, He's—they're he, not backing off of this. They're—they're they're, they're not. They're, I mean, indignant. That was the word I was looking for. It was a good one. Um, I, was say, a with a bear. I, I like that too. Uh, no, well, that's why we're—we're we're, we're bringing the—the—the the, the common word out to the people here. We're not trying to act like we're smarter than we are. So, he's been indignant in these rate hikes. I mean, it's almost like every time he gets up there, it's like, well, this is what we got to do. What else can we do? And people are really starting to push back against it because we're seeing the trends that things are moving in the right direction and you know that, that if the Fed did dial back its aggressive policy I think it'd be great for everybody um, because the rates are at their highest level since 2007 and he feels a recession's inevitable and there could be a severe downturn ahead so if inflation's low and, and this is because they're not letting the market forces play out so I, I'm hopeful this is the case I mean this is just one theory. But I have seen rental prices ease a little bit. Like, we don't, we don't do a lot with rentals, and I think it depends where you are. It's all super local. Um, uh, you know, so, but, but even with the rental properties that, that we hold, I mean, we're maybe making incremental increases in rents that have been set for two or three years. And we're talking about like 25 or $50 a month, not like anything that, 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 that's crazy. So if this happens, will the Fed start to lower rates in the second half of the year?
1: I don't think so. <laughs> I think if they do anything, they will stop, you know, raising. They'll stop like uh, increasing stuff there. But if eventually they did go in and reduce them, I don't think that that's something they're going to just like immediately jump into. Um, you know, I think that's where they maybe would let things play out a little bit.
0: Okay, got it. Think they're going to? So there's been there's been talk that they're going to raise rates once more, and there may be three rate hikes, or excuse me. They're going to raise rates once more and then make three decreases later in the year. Well, as a business owner, and you're, you're a business owner too, why not just make two decreases later in the year and let things stabilize a little bit? Right. Like, this is just a logical perspective here. Right.
1: Well, even if at the next meeting, it's not a decrease, just leave it be I, and see how things like go for a hot second before. Yeah, because that doesn't really make a ton of sense to... They're already like predicting that that's where it will go. Now, the one thing that we think we do know is that people change their predictions all the time. <laughs> <Yes>. So <laughs> we know that.
0: <laughs> well, and it, so I mean, this was in a CNBC article that came out that the Fed forecast, and this was right after the, the, the meeting that we had in, um, uh, they had him in, in, at the end of the year, what, or the, the most recent one, is that they're gonna, they, they forecast one more rate hike this year, and it may be followed by two to three rate decreases. I just don't, I just let it, leave it where it is. Like, what's that incremental increase going to do? Right. Um, I, I, I don't get that. Um, and, the, but then Jerome Powell says the market's wrong when it prices in rate cuts later the year. I don't, I don't know. I mean, the Fed just, it seems like they're just doing their own thing. Right. I like Barry Starlight here. Um, yeah, he's I, right. I, I mean, I think this is, or, or Barry Sternlight, excuse me. I said, he's with Starwood Capital Group. Got it mixed up there. I would love to see this happen because it would be such a relief because getting to 2% is a long road. Mm -hmm. We're at five right now. And he's really concerned that these high rates could over tighten the economy into a, into a worse recession, which I agree. And if you look at the history of what the fed did here, they cut rates down to zero during COVID and they put a ton of money in the market Then everyone spent it. Then they had to raise rates and they're still like giving out these federal um, uh, bailout packages to people And I've heard things about the economic uh, uh, tax relief credits where people, literally, there's like scams going on of like, hey, just go get your money and then we're going to audit you later. I mean, this is happening all over the place. I, I, I would hope that we see this actually happen and the Fed chills out a little bit. That would be the ideal scenario.
1: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right. So we're in agreement. As usual, Sarah, because you got a great head on your shoulders here. That's it for this uh, segment. We're going to come back. we got Brian Blauk coming in, sales manager extraordinaire. This guy knows numbers. His nickname at his previous job was Charts and Graphs, little known fact. Um, so we're going to have him come on and talk about his sales management style, why tracking your numbers matters for real estate agents. This is Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. Have you considered a career in real estate? Do you want control over your income? Whether you have a license or not, call us today at 610-692-6976 or visit tomtool.com. Join our team, the Tom Tool Sales Group at REMAX Mainline. the Tom Tool Sales Group is the number one Remax team in Pennsylvania with over $165 million in volume for 2021. I'm Tom Tool, and our team has achieved that kind of success by being a great place to work with and to work for. No one knows Greater Philly better than we do. We know real estate, but more importantly, we're real people. We hire the best agents, and we give them all the tools to succeed. Even our brand new agents sell 17 to 24 homes a year because our team delivers the best experience in real estate. Teams deliver a better experience than individuals and we're a top 1% real estate team in the country. We call it AAA service. We're your advocate, ally, and advisor because this isn't a transaction to us. It's a relationship. If you're buying or selling a home, call the Tom Tool sales group at Remax main line at 610-692-6976 or visit TomTool.com. That's TomTool with an e, dot com. Sell your home for more, and remember the real estate golden rule. You always get more when you work with Tom Tool. All right, all right. We are back on Tool Time Real Estate Radio on WWDB, 860 AM. I'm Tom Tool. She's Sarah Timon, and we have sales manager extraordinaire, super teammate, Brian Blauk here. And, again, we all work with the Tom Tool sales group at REMAX Mainline, the number one REMAX team in Pennsylvania since 2018. Brian, grateful to have you on. This is a repeat guest, Sarah, one of the few repeats that we've had. Is
4: that right, feel
0: pretty special well you're part of our team so i mean and more importantly you're leading the sales team now so you've transitioned into a new role and i wanted to kind of share this with the audience here because your management philosophy is so insightful especially for the real estate agents that are listening here so why don't you tell them a little bit about your history in real estate so far and then we can kind of get into what you're doing now to help drive productivity for our sales team
4: yeah sure thing tom i uh thanks for having me on so um my first, first year, I had a lot of success, uh, just kind of implementing the, the, the systems and the processes that we have in place. I um, was able to do a little over $9 million in sales my first year. Uh, Backed that up the second year with, uh, I think it was around twelve five. million. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I saw a lot of success early on. Um, initially, was ramping up, uh, building client base, but I, I was fortunate where... After about four months, I started to see consistent uh, closings month after month, and i um, pretty proud of that. It took a, took a lot of work and a lot of effort, but um, I saw the success uh, early on because of the systems that we have in place.
0: Well, that's amazing, and, and I, I think it's you know, I, I know you thought I was crazy the first time we met. Uh, you can feel free to tell or not tell people what you thought. But uh, So now you're, now you're transitioning into this role. So you had a lot of sales success. I mean, that's more real estate than most people sell in their career, to, to be very frank. It was just around 50 sales. I think it was right around that number and almost you know, a little over $20 million in volume. So now you're working with our, our new folks that come on and you've got a lot of management background. So maybe can you speak to a little bit about that as well? Because I don't think people realize how different industries have basically the same disciplines when it comes to sales.
4: Yeah, so I um, uh, was a uh, partner in the uh, collision repair business uh, for about 16 years with with a group locally. Um, so my background is it's really about numbers right and and every business uh, out there has some form of a financial statement that they prepare month after month they look at trends they look at quarterly trends um, yearly trends and and everything's broken down into what i would call controllables right so you got your profit centers and you're able to move those numbers you have your fixed costs but then you also have controllables and what i started to define as I got into real estate was trying to figure out what are the controllables that are in a real estate business Um, because that's what I'm used to looking at month after month to improve on what I do. Um, And what I've started to realize is the calls to conversations ratio is important. Um, the ratio between conversations to booking appointments was important Um, and my offer acceptance rate how many how many homes do I need to show in order to write an offer I I look at that as what I call my cycle time Um, so I started looking at this data and I started to see trends uh, that were starting to get established and I utilized those trends to help um, fix my business so to speak so in the beginning i it took me anywhere between 12 to 14 homes to show before i would write an offer and i I figured out that part of that was the way i was communicating with the clients when i was showing the house so i got better at my script work um, and i started bringing that number down less and less and the quicker i was able to write offers to homes shown I realized, okay, I'm writing more offers. Now I just need to get my acceptance rate up. So I was tracking that. Mm -hmm. Um, I had it, it was as low as 25% in the beginning. I was able to increase that up to a little bit over 50%. So I think what I've learned throughout my business career is, the numbers do speak to you to some degree. You just have to read them and, and understand the trends that are happening. And I, I, it's the same thing with real estate. And I don't think enough uh, real estate agents spend the time to really kind of analyze their business that way. Um, and if they do, they'll they'll have the ability to shift and improve. Um, so for me, I was very reluctant to change anything in my business unless I knew for sure that it was going to continue to move me forward and not move myself backwards. And I think a lot of agents make those mistakes early on in their career, where they see some success and then they all of a sudden started to shift to something different, like yeah. very difficult, maybe expired listings or FISBOS, and then they, they they have a little bit of a gap in their cash flow. And um, so I think by running by managing the numbers, I think it makes your business more predictable, and you can really have predictable income if you if you look at your business that way.
0: So what about the person, and maybe Sarah, you could chime in here, that says, I don't like numbers. I don't like math. Because real estate agents, there's very artistic people, right? I mean, there's those expressive people that just have a knack for do, doing that stuff. I agree with you. The numbers always tell the story. I don't think there's any question. But uh, and, and Sarah, I'd love to get your take on this, because I know you've kind of progressed your business that way, too. Like, What do you say to that person who says, I don't like math or I don't like numbers?
4: Yeah, um, (laughs) well, it it, it does take time with those individuals, but I think what I try to do with new agents, I've looked at everything. I'm a process person, so anytime I'm going to change something within a process, I commit myself to three months to doing it. I did it with you. I, I said, listen, you tell me what I've got to do. And for the, the three months, first three months, I'm going to do it to the T. I'm not going to waver from it. I'm not going to change. And just to see if this system does work. And obviously it did. So it's the same thing with new agents. When I, when I start to talk about the numbers, um, when you have no data, it means absolutely nothing. And it's very hard to see the value in it. But I do encourage them to do it in the beginning, train your brain to track your business and then as you start to see one two and three months worth of data then the light bulb goes off and they can actually now i can show them how they can improve and the things that they're doing that could propel their business to be even better than it currently is so you know people don't like math but you know numbers don't lie i mean it is it is Mm -hmm. the reality it is the measurement that really all businesses go through there is a if you, ever, if you ever watch Shark Tank, the first thing that they ask is, tell me your numbers. Yeah, I and, th- and if they don't know their numbers, they're out, <laughs> right? I mean, that's the reality of it. So um, it's just, I, you know, to, coaching them on the value of it, getting them to at least commit to three months' worth of data. And then if at the end of that three months they look at the data and they don't like what they see or they don't see any value in it, then don't do it. But in most cases, when they start to see it and do it, they're like, hey, this actually isn't, it's not difficult to do and it, brings, it br- does bring me more value in my business.
0: So Sarah, what's your relationship in with numbers? Because I, th- I think that this is, and, and like you're doing great, like don't get me wrong, but I think you had a personality that didn't maybe trend that way initially and, I, you know, from hearing Brian, I, I think this is a very interesting conversation because you could easily say like my friend Jill Biggs and she's like, God, I don't, I don't know my numbers. And then she had to start writing them down and keeping them in her pocket on like coaching calls right, so she knew right. what the heck she was talking about.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that there is such a, a value in it and obviously it's, difficult to like argue with that given the success that you've had and the way that you have been very meticulous about tracking everything throughout the process. And you can go back and pinpoint exactly, you know, what happened or what caused what, um, which it's way better to know that than just to kind of guess or be like, you know, "Ah." and for, you know, starting off new agents from the get-go, like this is how we do it. If they're if that's just kind of like, part of how they do it then it doesn't have to be a big thing that they're implementing you know they're just right off the bat like this is this is how I do it and I'm going to be reporting on these numbers and I know that I need to know them Um, and you know it's it's interesting too how even with it's not just like internally or for you like knowing the different numbers like when you're out at you know working with buyers or working with sellers and being able to say like you know actual numbers for like your scenarios of bringing people out or writing offers or if somebody loses an offer the first time, like, hey, this is normal, you know, X amount of mine or X amount often do on the first one, just being able to back that up with data because that's, numbers don't lie.
4: Yeah. And, you know, if you look at it too, so we, we go out with clients, we show them homes and then they ask us, so what do you think of the list price? And then we run comps. And the comps are the numbers, yep. and the numbers yep. match up to the list price. And then we give them buyer closing cost sheets, and those are numbers. Yeah, so numbers everywhere. That the, the numbers are there. It's just, you know, are you going to run your business that way? Uh, because the clients still need them. are you're gonna you're gonna deal with analyticals all the time, and you have to have that data. And and we've got to be we got to know interest rates. We've got to know, uh, you know. Number of homes that have come onto the market there's there's numbers everywhere and it's just part of the industry and i i think it's i think it's difficult to have somebody who's has three to five years experience that have consistently have done well to say okay well now you should be tracking your numbers i mean but at some point they hit a brick wall and you know how quickly do you break down that brick wall and get yourself back on track does it take you three months to do it or does it take you six months to do it? Eventually it's going to happen and I think just having an idea of how you got there and why you got there makes it a lot easier to plan to, to change it and fix it. It's it's just part of, of running a business.
0: Think about the way the market is right now and how many people had wild success last year and now they're having a little bit of a hard time this year. It's because they didn't track their numbers. They were saying, oh well, there's just so many hot buyers and people have so much intent I'm just going to go out and show properties. I don't really care. Like The market's really frothy I'll do deals. And out, some of these folks are, like, you're seeing people down, like, 70 80% from where they were over the past 12 months. And when you look at their numbers, you know why. Because it's we're back to a normal sort of seasonal market. And you saw that when you had gotten started with us, Sarah. And then, uh, I mean, Brian, this is the first time we've seen this kind of market yeah. just because of the way the, the economy's been and, and what's going on. So, uh, you know, w- with that, uh, you know, I, I'm a big believer, and I've read a lot of books, like Mark Roberge, the MIT professor who wrote the Sales Acceleration Formula and some other folks, they talk about how to like manage the number. And, and you can't really like manage the number, but you can do things to influence it. So you talked about a couple things there. So for the agent that they want to get their ratios down because you always want to be more efficient. Like you don't want to be 15 showings to one offer. That's way too many. Can you imagine like 15 showings to one offer? would be, it's horrible, right? I mean, you're, you're running around with these people. They're not going anywhere. What are some strategies that you have seen work that you've coached on that help people influence improving their ratios?
4: Sure. So, I mean, let's just, I mean, the most important one is your offer acceptance ratio, right? Mm -hmm. So how are you building the offer? How are you determining the strategy uh, with the client? Are you looking at all potential angles of building a strong offer? It isn't always just offer price, deposit money, and inspections. There's other things that you can do to make that offer competitive and make it rock solid. So each one of those controllables, that's just one that I mean there's training that you can do in terms of having an understanding of how all the different addendums work and and how you communicate with the other side, right? This is all about negotiations, yep. right? You need to learn, you need to know who you're dealing with as far as the listing agent or the buyer agent, whoever that might be. And you you have to sharpen your skills with that. So that's just like a handful of things just with offer acceptance ratios that, that you can improve upon. And, and you can kind of take a look at some past offers that you written and, and didn't mm-hmm. get accepted and fix it, you know, but you got to keep track of it.
0: I love, I love the case study you're talking about. Like, look back at what didn't work and learn from it. Go ahead.
1: So I know you had also mentioned earlier about bringing down the number of showings that you needed to do in order to produce uh, or have your buyers put an offer in. And um, that some of it maybe was, like, some communication. Were there other pre-qualifying things that you did to maybe, like, be, like listen, maybe put down, like, buyer-estimated cost sheets or something before going out to show, like either, like, this isn't going to work for mm-hmm. you, it's not worth looking at,
4: or... Yeah, and I think I learned uh, early on, like, in the beginning, it's just, like, I just want to get out with somebody. I, you know, I, yeah. you don't have a pre-approval, it's okay, let's go out, we'll keep, And at some point, I learned that, you know, after house number two or three there's certain information I need to know about this client, right? So you start to tighten it up a little bit, and it's all about preempting the client and getting them ramped up as quick as you can while you're showing them the homes. Mm -hmm. So I got better at just notching that information and and each showing there was a little bit more information, a little bit more information to the point that now it's like after home four or five, I had them pretty much geared up to say okay well, this is what we want to offer. I want to do a price escalation addendum, and I want to do this and I want to do that and because they that's all that they've heard throughout the time yeah. and and in the beginning I was taking too long. Yeah. In, mm-hmm. in doing that and I allowed it to carry a little bit longer than than necessary. Um, and it, that's how you that's how you move that needle, that move that number. You say what you have to say when you when you need to say it.
0: Love it. Um, and, and one of the things that I know Brian's also implemented with our team is this like competitive offer coaching because, uh, and it's a form that gets filled out and then we see it and can coach people because a lot of times they're not, they're having the, the tough conversations after the person's already made their decision instead of actually trying to influence that. And that's another way you can influence your, your offer acceptance rate, which, which, which is really great. So, um, so for the people that are listening out there, let's say they're, they're not getting the results that they want. You're doing this obviously internally with us. What advice do you have for the agent that maybe Is off to a slow start. It's Q two, and they're starting to freak out a little bit because they know there's a limited amount of time to hit their hit their numbers or at least get on pace by the end of June. What advice do you have for that person so they can go and hit their goals for the rest of 2023?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, you get one, you got to start. Building some type of a track record of what you did, and if you can go back, you can clearly go back at least one month or maybe the last two months and try to try to build some trends. How many showings did you go on? How many new clients uh, are you meeting with in, in the course of one month? Um, start start to build that information. Um, but you've got to, you, it. You it comes down to the basics. Like you have got to practice your scripts. You got to continue to work your craft um, and get better at. You got to get better at showing homes. You got to get better at talking on the phone. You got to get better at booking appointments. Um, those are those are the the basic philosophies, and it's the foundation of mm-hmm. real estate. And I think people get away from that. Um, they they get a couple of deals under their belt. They feel like they don't need to talk to any more people. And before you know it, there's really nothing in the, on the pipeline for the next eight weeks. And then they're like, "What? Oh my God! What? What's happening? The the skies falling." It's like, well, you got away from what you knew your successes were. Um, But you gotta keep working the craft. I mean, this is, the the, we saw this industry change from July of last year to December. That was a total different, that was a different segment. It's different now from January to now, and it's constantly shifting. And you have to be able to shift and and move with the market. And you have to be, you've gotta be able to see it. There's a lot of lead indicators that will tell you if you're gonna make money in Q3 it's what you're doing right now, yep. that's how much money you're going to make in Q3. And if you're not hitting your targets, then it's a pretty clear indicator you're not going to do very well three months from now.
0: I love the 90-day model because that's that's how this business works. Whatever you do now, you're going to see the results in 90 days. And if you think it's going to happen sooner, you're one of those companies that they talk about in Good to Great where you're in the doom loop, where you're expecting instant results and it never happens. It's that slow, sustained action over time that builds a lot of momentum. So, uh, Brian, thanks for coming on, my man. Glad to be here. Great segment. That's it for this week's episode of Tool Time Real Estate Radio. You want to follow Sarah? She's at ty underscore ty time. Brian's also on Instagram, but I don't know the handle. So I think at Brian Blauk, I think it is. At Brian B L O U C H. You can follow me at Tom Tool three R D. We're streaming live every week. Facebook, YouTube, Instagram. Just look up Tom Tool Sales Group, and we'll catch you next week on WWDB eight sixty AM.